That's what she said. That's what she said. That's what she said. That's what she said. Well, that's what she said. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the latest edition of That's What She Said with Sarah Spain. I'm Sarah Spain. For what feels like the millionth time in a row, I ended this podcast recording thinking to myself, oh, I need to have a part two. I've been trying to get Katie Nolan on the pod since about week one. Uh, she's someone that I've been a big fan of ever since. Uh, we actually both competed. I guess we didn't really compete. Uh, I, I didn't take the, the job offer for Crowd Goes Wild. She ended up getting it. We met at the Super Bowl right after that, um, and we were introduced by one of the guys I auditioned with. And I had a keen eye to watching her on that show because I had almost taken it. And so uh, I've been following her career, and I loved her show Garbage Time. So I've been wanting to have her on the pod um, for quite some time. Glad to finally talk to her. And now, of course, I need a part two because there was so much to get to. She has a podcast out on ESPN, brand new, called Sports? Question mark. And the first episode uh, went out a couple weeks ago where they were trying to name the podcast. And if a podcast about naming a podcast is as entertaining as that was, I'm sure the rest of it is going to be really great. So check that out. You can also find her on ESPN's Snapchat Sports Center, uh, which I've been watching, and it's good stuff. I'm not a huge Snapchat person. Uh, I'm, I have a tendency to use the Snapchat filters to create something, save it, and then post it on a different social media app that doesn't delete because I'm old. And I like things to be there and I can go back and remember them and check them. I'm not sending any DPs, so I don't need my things to disappear. Uh, but I do go there now just for the Sports Center stuff because I dig it. And there's some good people on there, including my co-host Jason Fitz of Spain and Fitz and Al Duncan. And um, it's good, quick recaps and very personality driven. So I dig that. So you can find her there. And then I'm sure she's going to be involved in a ton of other ESPN stuff. So uh, we talk about her transition from Fox to ESPN some of the early days, and just a really great conversation. She's super fun and funny, and I hope you guys like it. That's what she said. So happy to welcome in ESPN podcast host, Sports Center on Snapchat host, and future TBD, Katie Nolan, <laughs> who was supposed to be on my podcast like week Weeks four ago. or five of its existence, mm-hmm. and some snow took you out, and then from there it was just it was just never meant to be. But here yeah. we are. Hi. Finally made it happen. I know. I'm um, excited. I'm very excited. So your new podcast is called Sports, mm-hmm. and I listened to the introductory one. It was very entertaining. It was it was the Seinfeld of podcasts. It was almost about nothing, and yet very entertaining. And that's how you ended up deciding on the name, which was your own that you already had before you started that <laughs> podcast. Yeah, it was a huge waste of everyone's time, but we turned it into content, so I think that counts as a win. That's a win. That's a yeah. win. Um, all right, so we're going to get to that in a little bit and, and what you expect and how it might be different from from the Garbage Time podcast. But I want to start back at the very beginning. You're growing up in Massachusetts. Uh, what were you into as a kid? Uh, drugs. <laughs> mostly yeah. mostly hard street drugs. Heroin? Uh, yeah, I dabbled. I dabbled. Yeah. Not, not big on needles. But, you know, I, yeah, I figured I'd jump right in. Screw the gateway. Just start me on heroin and we'll work our way backwards. Um no, I was into, uh, you know, stuff. I don't know. I, I don't have cool interests. I was a dancer growing I, up. I, the, the rhythmic dancing, yes, with the, yeah, with the well, ribbons. So I, I started as just, you know, normal dance. And then the dance center that I was dancing at was like, we're starting a rhythmic gymnastics team. And I was five. So I was like, I don't know what that is. Um, but I did it. And then I did that all up until high school. And, you know, along the way, picked up a few junior Olympic gold medals, a couple silvers, a okay. couple bronze. No big deal. 
That's yeah. amazing. What was is there? Are, are there different kinds of rhythmic gymnastics? Like I know one has a ball and one has just a ribbon. Well, so it's all the same sport, but those are the different. The same way that regular gymnastics, which is what I've always called it, but I guess it's artistic, uh, <laughs> has like the balance beam and the vault and the like. You do growing up, you do all of it. Once you get older, I'm sure you can go. Oh, I only do ribbon. I specialize right. in I specialize hoop. in ball. Yeah. <laughs> well, I do. I mean, we work at ESPN, so we all do at this point. That's right. Yes. Uh, meaning the balls, of like course, LeVar. I don't, balls. Yeah. Right. Um, but yeah, there's all different. Ribbon was my favorite. Obviously, it's the most fun. Clubs were my least favorite. They were hard. Clubs. And they hit hmm. you in the head. When you get older, they give you rubber ones, but growing up, they're really hard plastic, which seems like it should be backwards because of the <laughs> yeah. learning curve. Um, but yeah, those are my least favorite. People don't care. We can move on to something else. I was also I'm into sports. Fascinated by rhythmic gymnastics and the <laughs> fact that you. So, but you didn't do it in in high school. That was it. Right around the, eighth grade is when you stopped. The team disbanded, and I believe it, I was in eighth grade. So it it kind of conveniently worked out because um, practices were Friday nights and Saturday mornings. And so, first of all, my whole childhood, I never got to watch Saturday morning cartoons, which I really felt robbed of. Mm-hmm. Um, but. That's my hardship. That's my truth. <laughs> I have to speak my. I have to tell my story. <laughs> yes. uh, and and Friday night practices would have sucked at, during high school because you know that's where you're supposed to develop a social life. I didn't right. end up really developing much of one of those anyway, but it was nice to have my Friday nights back in my life. So in high school, did you switch to other more traditional sports? <laughs> did you do normal? <laughs> um, so I played softball growing up. So I stuck with that, and I played that in in high school, and then I was the captain of the dance team. Okay. So is this like pom-poms, or is it different? So it's a little bit of both. Like, we obviously had a cheerleading team that used pom-poms and did cheers and all that. We had poms and would work – like, we would do the football games, like the halftime um, with pom-poms, dancing to band music. That was obviously the worst part of of the gig. But we would also do like, um, what are they called? Pep rallies and, you know, other various performances and competitions and stuff. And that was nice. more actual dance as opposed to like rah, rah, sis, boom, bah. But we also had to do kick line, which is like rockets. That was an that's element fun. of dance team. Yeah, but I do that also, sometimes when I'm drunk. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, that's, it is fun to do drunk. It's not as fun to do sober, mm, but, that's but you do, you stick with it. Did you want to be a dancer, like um, professional? I think I knew as soon as I got to college that I had been a big fish in a small pond because then I got to college and realized like, oh, everyone here is better at this than I am. And it sort of put everything into a stark contrast of like, okay, you're not going to be able to do this professionally. My mom wanted me to major in dance in college. Oh, wow. And and I had to be the one that was like, that seems like a huge waste of all of our money. Uh, (laughs) If I want to become a dancer, I'll just not go to college or I'll go to college for, you know, stuff. And then, be you know, I don't think majoring in dance is going to make me a better dancer. Um, So, yeah, that could have been my life, but I wasn't that good. And plus, I loved pizza. Mm. which was yeah, directly in conflict with <laughs> a, a ballet dancer's body. Right. So you went to Hofstra. Mm-hmm. And well, what did your parents do for work when you were growing up? Uh, my mom ha- was a bartender. She used to, before she had my brother, I have one older brother, uh, before she had him, she was a speech pathologist and then um, obviously had a baby and needed to figure out scheduling. And my dad has worked at Raytheon for over 30 years same job essentially obviously moving up in the world and accruing a ton of vacation time but 
that's what he was doing working during the day. So my mom switched and would work at night. So by the time they had me, my mom had been a bartender for a couple of years and she did that up until, oh, I don't know, a couple of years ago when my grandmother got sick. My mom had to take care of her full time. Um, but yeah, all growing up, my mom was a bartender. That's why I got into sports, actually. Most people get in because of their dad. Mine was mostly because my mom. She would listen to sports talk radio all day because she told me that it would make her better at her job because she could go to the bar and if she had nice. more things to talk about and had more opinions, um, that she would make more money. And at first, what kind I think of bar she did was, you work at? Uh, she worked at the kind of place where you have regulars. It wasn't yeah. like, you know, a packed house on Friday night, but it was her business was mainly on attracting people and wanting them to come back to talk to her, which she was fantastic at. She still is, but she's not a bartender anymore. Um, she's very good at – she's a very magnetic personality. She can talk to you about anything. I think she first was listening to Sports Talk Radio like, eh, I don't really care, but I'm going to learn. And then she just got sucked in, and now she's just a huge, huge Boston fan. And all I've seen your mom on Garbage Time. Yes, She's she's a she's a she's a Boston fan. Yeah, she's she's what you'd expect from a Boston bartender. I will take that as a compliment. (laughs) Yes, (laughs) yes. Um, So, what did you study at Hofstra? Public relations, and I minored in dance. That's me throwing my mama bone. Nice. Okay, so why public relations? What did you think you wanted to do? Can I be completely honest? This doesn't make any sense, but I remember when you were applying to schools and. There was that website, Princeton Review, and they Mm -hmm. would have like, what should you major in quizzes? Um, Mm -hmm. I took one of those where you check little boxes like, I like talking to people. I enjoy convincing people of things, like whatever. Uh, And the number one match for what I should major in was public relations. I didn't even know what that was. Uh, (laughs) And I was like, sure, that sounds about right. Because the last thing I wanted to do, I'd heard nightmare stories from people who didn't declare their major before they got to school and then – all that like mess of they had to wait another year before they could graduate because they didn't fulfill their requirements. And I didn't want that to be me. So I was like, I'll just say public relations. And if I change my mind or figure out what it is and decide I don't like it, I'll just change. And then I forgot to change. So <laughs> I got a degree in it. Did you do any internships or anything when you were in school? I did. I um, The coolest one, I went to Australia for one nice. summer. Uh, summer over here is winter over there. So I spent yes. their winter <laughs> there uh, at Weber Shandwick, which is like an international PR firm, which is and pretty cool. Were you into it when you got out of school? Were you thinking this is what you want to do? Uh, yes. I graduated. I mean, I'm not trying to brag, Sarah Spain, but I graduated with honors. And wow. my cousin who lived in California was moving to New York City to do Teach for America. And I had obviously gone to school at Hofstra. So I was in New York and she was like, let's move into the city together. And stupidly, I was like, sure, I'll find a job. I graduated with <laughs> honors. I'm real good. Like, I'll be fine. <laughs> and then after like three months, I worked all through college. I was a waitress at some steakhouse down the street. And so I had money saved up. Uh, and then it was gone within like four oh, months yeah. of, of living York? in New York City. Yeah. <laughs> I was in the Upper East Side on a in a sixth floor walk up. It, they called it a penthouse. And I was like, that's really too generous. <laughs> this is a, it was like a two bedroom that they put up a fake wall and made it a three bedroom. It was, oh, boy. It was real bad. Um so after a couple months, I, I still hadn't found a job. I was working an internship, which I was like, this doesn't make any sense. I do need you to pay me. Um, I was working an internship at like a music. They represented like bands, like thrice and stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I was like, okay, I need to get paid. So I uh, started working at an Equinox gym selling memberships. And how and was that? It sucked. I mean, it didn't. 
it's I went a nice few dates gym. with a guy who sold memberships for Equinox, and it's, I beat him in basketball, and he faked an injury. Oh wow, he mm-hmm. sounds lo- he sounds like an Iron Man. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> anyway, uh, no, I, it was it's a great gym, but that job was unnecessarily stressful. Like we're not solving mm-hmm. world hunger; we are selling overpriced gym memberships, and. Uh, it was one of those weird jobs where the better I was at it, the worse I felt. Like hmm. I I was able to emotionally connect with the person that was trying to buy a gym membership and get them to buy the gym membership, knowing full well like that person doesn't need to spend $145 a month to go here when there's a 24-hour fitness that yeah. fits their schedule better down the street for $40. And then but you know, you get paid on commission and you only get paid if you hit a benchmark and it's like i need her to sign this so you get them to sign up and then a couple months later they're like oh i'm stuck in a in a membership i need to get out and i'm like you signed up for 12 months i'm so sorry yeah Um, so after six months of that i couldn't do it do you find that sometimes like you think about that job being the most stressful you've ever had and you think how stupid that is yeah i used to have nightmares about my restaurant job oh i still have those like and it was my first job at like when i moved to l.a I was a hostess. I wasn't even a waitress. And it was in like Beverly Hills area. So That's low key all these people would come hostess. in. And, yeah. Well, busy lunch and all these people would come in and try to like give me money and I'd be like, There aren't any there aren't any tables, like I don't know what to do. Yeah. And I would start and like they would write me up for not smiling with my mouth open. Oh. They were like, God. You didn't show teeth. And then and then I got written up for my voice being too low because oh, it just didn't God. sound friendly. And now I think back and I'm like, How is that the most stressful job I've ever had? I made Like no how money. didn't I turn to my boss and, and be like, off. <laughs> Exactly. Want me to smile one more time, dude. You <laughs> right. manage an L.A. restaurant. Yeah. It's crazy, yeah. though, how things that – I mean, part of it is I think you get older and you understand how to handle pressure and put things in perspective. But I think there are just a lot of jobs that in the end, it's not the end of the world, but the way that they're like mediated, the way that, the, that you're bossed around makes it feel so much harder than a job that actually does have pretty high – cost. Yeah, I mean 100%, but I also think that probably that quality that you have where you that job mattered and you took it really seriously and it felt like the end of the world is probably what contributed partially to you getting to this point in your life. That you take right. most of your jobs pretty seriously and you work hard at them and want to be good at them and then in the in the future you look back and you're like, "Who cared?" <laughs> right, exactly. Why, why did time, I try to up I tried to upsell everyone deal. on like a massage treatment or a physical <laughs> therapy session of like, right. "Oh, let me get extra money." And uh, now I'm like, what a dumb job. Yeah. But but yeah. I had six months of my life, and then I just moved back to Boston, started okay. bartending, followed in my mom foot, mom's footsteps, started a blog, and now here I am talking to you on your podcast. Well, and for some people, those jobs aren't dumb. They're like what they're good at and what they like. But I think part of the reason is you and I, um, perhaps I'm taking a guess, don't love being micromanaged. What? Um, I love it. I think it's the best <laughs> when people tell me what to do every second of the day. Right. Right. I mean, I have like six bosses, but none of them keeps a tab on me every second of the day because mm. I have too many. So I'm I'm sure you're similar to that where a little more freedom, a little more, uh, you know, being in charge of yourself. I don't so mind the to- micromanaging. It's when they expect me to listen. <laughs> That's the problem. <laughs> like, you can tell me what to do. I'm cool with you contacting me it's constantly. Doing it's, it. yeah, yeah, it's when you need me to follow your rules is where I'm like, I think I'm going to sit this out. <laughs> Um, so you go to Boston. Uh, are you living at home at the time when you when you go back to bartending? So I don't. I kind of lucked out in that um, I was going to. I would have moved home because the reason I was leaving New York is because I was out of money. Uh, but I, my grandmother had 
been living in a condo in Framingham, probably like 10 minutes from my parents' house. And it got to a point where she couldn't live alone anymore. So she had moved into my bedroom and there was just an empty condo. And so I got my own apartment. I had to pay the uh, condo fee, which was like 400 a month. So I was living in in like a nice apartment, granted, with all old people uh, <laughs> for like $400 a month, which was kind of nice. I, that but helps, it, for it, sure. it wasn't an old folks home, but it almost was. Like I got in the <laughs> elevator once with a 30 of Bud Light and the person in the elevator like looked at me funny. And then I found out a week later that they had called the office, like the management office of the condo to be like, she's having wild parties. Oh, my like, gosh. Just because she spotted that. Yeah. And I'm like, dude, like, the that's 30, just for me. It was for me. And it was for like <laughs> three days. So I just was going to buy another one on Wednesday. Yeah. So. Oh, wow. Yeah. So you have a raging social life, I'm sure. Just hanging going out your crazy. Condo. Yeah, yeah. We called it the Che because um. it was Chapel Hill East. Nice. Yeah. Uh, so you're bartending at a bar, and that's when you started a blog, right? That's when you first decided to dip your toes in the content waters? Yeah, I was uh, interning at a chiropractic office. Of course. <laughs> <laughs> Which clearly I was really good at because I just stuttered over the word chiropractic. Uh, so I was – I crushed that job, uh, which barely, barely paid me. It was it was nothing. So I was bartending at night in, in Alston at the Whitehorse Tavern which is like right between BC and BU. So it was a lot of that kind of clientele. It had nothing to do with regulars and everything to do with like make as many Soko Lime shots at once as you can. Were you wearing like a kilt and a white shirt like tied in a knot in front? Thank God it wasn't that bad. Uh, At one point they came out with these new uniforms because at first the bartenders wear whatever they wanted, but the servers had to wear a uniform. And then they came out with these, they were supposed to look like baseball jerseys that said white horse on them. And every like the design, I guess, in their minds was really cool. We all put it on and was like, this sucks. But that's what I <laughs> that's what I had to wear that and like khaki shorts. OK, not bad. Not not bad. Not bad. It wasn't like a, it wasn't like t- tilted kilt or whatever. Right. That stupid. Right. Restaurant, quote unquote, restaurant is called. But so I was doing that. Restaurant that- is what it's called. <laughs> oh, no. Is it? I believe those are referred to as restaurants. Holy <laughs> Like for real or is that a great pun you just made? I did not just make that up. It oh. is something that people have used to describe the likes of uh, oh, Hooters. Twin Peaks. Hooters Ew, that's a thing. And tilted kilt. Wait, so what are we calling like uh is it knockouts, <laughs> the name of the salon where the girls are dressed like cheerleaders? I have not heard out? of that. That makes me sad. It's like it's it's like super cuts. Oh, super oh. sluts. There it is. <laughs> super sluts. That's easy enough. I'm not shaming um, them. It was don't just the hate first the players. Came, yeah, hate exactly. The game. Exactly. exactly. So anyway, um, yeah, right, that's so when I that's when I started a block. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Speaking of slut shaming. Um yes. Yeah, so I I was I think I had stopped working the chiropractor job because let's be honest, wasn't a great fit. Um and then I was just bartending and that that around that point I moved to the city, like out of that condo and into an apartment with my friend Kayla and Boston started a city. Uh, yeah, into yeah. into I think I was first in Brighton, and then I moved to my own place in Alston. This is all very interesting. Write all this down. Mm-hmm. Uh, but so I was I was feeling like I was I'd gone to school and graduated, and I was just bartending. And to be clear, not that there's anything wrong with that, but I knew from my mom that bartending is like has an allure. It's like cash in your hands and. You, uh, especially when you're like a college, but yeah, exactly. And if you, (laughs) I mean, allegedly, I claimed all of my tips, but you know, I knew some people didn't. (laughs) But there's also just like when you're working at a college bar, 
like I worked with a bunch of people who went to school at either BCBU or BU, and then they stayed and kept bartending, and they forgot to ever like go mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. do other stuff because there's just like it's really hard to go. I'm gonna stop taking home three hundred dollars in cash. Uh, and I'm going to start getting like a paycheck and living an office life. It's just a tough adjustment. So I was very mindful of don't let this like suck you in. Don't let the comfort become complacency where you're just like, this is what I do for a living. And um, and I wake up and I'm 35 and this mm-hmm. is still what I do. So I uh, started a blog and was doing – would like keep myself busy with that during the day. And kind of like you were saying about your hostess job, I took it way too seriously. So it was like – Need a minimum of five posts a day. <laughs> Nobody was reading it, but when I and look it was back called at it, bitches can't hang. Yes, it was. Thank you for thank you for mentioning that. It was what's called the, bitches can't hang. What's the title referring to? So I had started the blog with a friend of mine, um, and we used to hang out at our friend's house in the basement. You know where the guys would all hang out, and we would they would usually say bitches can't hang, meaning like girls can't come right. to girls the party. Drool, boys rule. Right. And I went through the phase I think a lot of women in our positions went through where it was like, I don't have girlfriends. Right. I am like, like one of the guys. Tomboy. Yeah. Yep. I went through that annoying phase. I'm out of it now, thank God. But uh, so that was essentially the point of the blog was to tell every other woman how much better I am than her, which now makes me go bleh. Yeah, but, isn't that um, crazy though how yeah. much that feels like a necessity? And I yeah. think we've actually talked about this on our little private DM with a couple other women in the industry, mm-hmm. how sad it is when we see women who haven't gotten out of that yet because it is very self-hating and it is like acquiescing to the idea that there aren't just women who are awesome and love sports and are women. We have to be like, oh, I'm one of the guys. There's just no other women who get it. And yeah. people say that to me sometimes as a compliment. They'll be like, oh, I didn't know you worked for ESPN. I saw you on You're TV a unicorn. Day. You're the only woman that yep. I don't hate on there. I'm like, come on. Yeah. Like, you're not. And then I'll start listing off all these people and they'll be like, oh, yeah, she's actually good. Or oh, I don't know her. And I'm like, then don't say that. Like, stop. Yeah, stop. It's, it's not it's, a compliment. It's frustrating because it's such like I look back on my life and it's such a, a black mark for me on my past of like, ew, why did I do that? But it's true. You have to learn that lesson. You have mm-hmm. to unpack that You've been taught your whole life women like pink. Women don't like sports. Women read teen magazine. Women, you know, go to Backstreet Boys concerts. And if you don't – if none of that applies to you, you're taught, well, I guess I'm not a girl. And girls kind of sound like they suck. And we're taking the definition of what a girl is or what a woman is that's been defined by men. And and instead of going, that's not true – I'm a girl and I like sports. We're saying, well, then I guess I'm just one of the guys. And it's really hard to learn that. And that's why I try to be really patient with women that I meet, young women that are still in that phase. But it's really hard. I mean, you just have to be – you have to let everybody learn that on their own time. But it is true that we just internalize this thing of, well, if I look at women and I don't see – you know, stereotypical what women are, yeah, what women are are supposed to be. And I don't identify with any of that. Well, then I guess I hate women and all my friends are dudes. Or even if you don't don't hate women, you just feel like, well, if I, if I want to be a part of this thing that I like, I need to be like them and I need to put down what they put down. Right. Yeah. Um, Which I think, 
especially in sports, it's getting much easier. And so I see younger women that are already way ahead of where I was at their age. And I'm like, 100%. Oh my God, I'm so impressed by them. Yeah, that me they, too. That they already get it. And I'm so embarrassed when I look back and I'm like, it took me so much longer to get it. And actually that, that was, was the blog how you ended up getting the job at Guyism? Yeah, which, you know, again, black mark on the career, but well, go figure, right? Well, I was going to say, I don't know what I was watching, but somebody brought up your work with Gaiism and, and pulled up a video, and I was like, oh, my God, cleavage, tons of makeup. Yeah. This, like, doesn't look like Katie. Which, to and- be fair, like, it's kind of funny that, like, I was very mindful then of, like, this was during the time of YouTube when when they started putting the – um previews of the videos that were coming up next they started putting those on the side when you were watching a video and there was this one or two or three female accounts um that were like the camera was above them and it was looking down their shirt and mm-hmm. like their boobs were out and i felt like oh i'm being modest i look at those now and i'm like ooh oh I yeah wasn't no as you modest weren't... as you thought you you were not at all too in your face, particularly compared to other stuff, just compared to you now. Yeah. Where you feel like you are yourself and you're comfortable, you're wearing what you're comfortable in, you're, it's not about sexing you up. But I saw that and I was like, oh, it happened to her too. Because like my first on-camera gig, I had like football jerseys that were cut and then like mm-hmm. laced up like, 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 what's that called? With the, like a corset. Oh yeah. my boobs. Yeah. Or like turned into a one-shoulder tank top that's got like, the numbers aren't even visible. Like it's, and and people go back and find that and they try to use it against yep. women and it's so hard to try to explain how little you know when you're just getting started and you get a job offer and that's what they tell you they want and then right. you look and out how, and every like, woman on every pop-up video on every website that you go to it looks like that yeah and how you know this is a you were just talking about younger women coming up these are the kinds of things that when i have conversations with them i try to make perfectly clear of when you come into any job, I assume, but I can only speak to the ones that I've done, you assume that the people that are telling you what to do know better than you do. And there's a lot of times that in an industry that's male-dominated that has long been controlled by men, the way things are, the status quo, doesn't come from a perspective that considers you. Mm-hmm. And so it is okay to say, hey, uh, no to that. And it's not going to work out every time. And it's entirely possible that they're going to go, well, then no to you. But, like, it is okay, especially once you start to do enough jobs. I don't even just mean this right. in terms of, like, show more cleavage. But I've had people, even last year, an interview I had to do for something, and they gave me the, the questions that they wanted to be done. And a couple of them were like, you wouldn't ask a man to ask these questions. These are mm-hmm. frivolous insanely childish questions but instead of being like i'm a feminist how dare you i just said hey i'm not going to ask these because they don't i just think they're bad that's not me and, yeah. the, and the producer's yeah. like oh cool yeah that's fine so it's yeah. like oh well, but you, I think once you, you learn how some easy agency. that is right yeah. but it's so hard to for it to feel easy until oh, it's you impo- have it's your like, feet under you it's like saying i'm sorry in a fight when you do it's like it's the it sounds like the easiest thing. You just say the word no, or you just say the words I'm sorry. But it's like you've got to climb this mountain first mm-hmm. to get to a place where you feel like, okay, I'm ready to say this. And now. I'm valued enough that, that exactly. they're okay with it. Yeah. yeah. I still have that where like they, they'll be like a sponsor read and they'll be like, okay, Sarah, your part is going to be like, you know, I hate it when guys whatever and it makes <sighs> me have a headache. And then I don't <sighs> want And I'm like, nope. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely not. That's not me. But that's so hard. And you're right. It, it's it's something that you try to help people coming up. But then you also have to remember in their position, it's really hard to, to get the voice 
to say oh, that. Oh, a thousand. Per- and I, listen, started. I'm far from perfect. When you fight that battle enough times in a week, you reach a point where you're like, I'll do this one thing. I don't care. Right, right, like, exactly. let me just just give me the ad read. Let me just read right, it. It's like, right. oh, boy, I can't find my keys. And my <laughs> husband won't stop watching football. Open this jar so, for me. Yeah. My oh, hands hurt. You're so strong and handsome. <laughs> it's like, f- it. I just don't have the, I don't have the right, patience. Right. Um, all right. So guyism, though. Beyond the fact that, yeah, it, there was a little bit you know, more sexy Nolan, uh, did you like that gig and what did you learn from that? Uh, I learned so much. And that's it's weird because I didn't um, – most of it was out of my house and I didn't have any actual coworkers. Um, I, I wrote all the jokes. I found all the stories. I filmed all of the videos. I edited all the videos I'd never edited in my life other than – School projects in high school when you would put a VHS into your VCR. <laughs> Kids are now Googling, like, what are those words? Uh, and you would, like, hook up your camera to the TV. And you know what? I'm, have you ever done that where you have to edit a video and you have to, like, push play yes, and record absolutely. at the same time? On a, yes, of course. That's the only thing I'd ever done for editing. And I had to teach myself how to use Final Cut. And uh, that was crazy. So I basically taught myself through YouTube videos how to make YouTube videos. <laughs> and the show is essentially sort of like a little mini garbage time or like weekend update where it's yeah. a graphic over the shoulder, joke at a desk, mm-hmm. next next thing. Yeah. And it was uh, bad. It The first <laughs> year of them, because I did them alone at my house for two years, five videos a week, um, they were, the first year was painful. Like if I watched them now, I, I don't think I could. It would make me very uncomfortable physically. You uh, gotta get those reps though. Hundred percent. It's really cool it's, that you were actually getting paid to do it, assuming that you didn't. I mean, totally put, jack it up. We put paid in quotation marks. <laughs> okay. uh, they would dock my pay for every half hour, I think, or maybe it's hour. Maybe I'm not being generous enough. Every hour after twelve p.m., they ca- they were load uploaded. And at the what? time, I was still bartending. They docked your pay? Yeah. So they would like take 50 oh bucks gosh. for every hour. And I was getting paid uh, 750 bucks a month wow. before taxes. Wow. So. Um, yeah, that's. Paid in quotation marks. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but. So, yeah, the things I learned, like I learned. Um, most important lesson I learned wasn't anything like physical or anything I can prove. But it was just that once something once you stop overthinking it and it just becomes kind of muscle memory almost, it becomes – that's when you can start to get really good. Once you mm-hmm. break through the like this is a thing I'm doing and you just go, it's a job. I have to get it done. It actually is freedom to get better at it, which feels well, kind of the opposite. Right. And I think you can you can tell when you look at old videos of yourself that it was a it was a it was an effort. Right. Yeah. And when you see young people starting out, you're like, you just have to get used to it. That's why right. I tell people start a YouTube channel and just start doing it all the time, even if no one's watching. Exactly. Because the people that we like to watch, it feels like they're just hanging out on television. And it feels it, it very rarely is it going to feel that way day one. Like, no. oh, very few people are going right. to be able to sit down and be like, I'm comfortable. I don't notice that camera. It's very right. difficult to do. Well, uh, and there's a lot of people that are maybe, I don't want to say never, but I mean, no shade to him. And I know he's a friend of yours. Bill Simmons is a guy who clearly gets the industry, knows so much about what people want and how to give it to them and, and what, what content is, is loved. And it just hasn't worked out for him on camera. Yeah, I think he hasn't done enough of it. And I also think like every medium is different. And Bill crushes at podcasts. And yeah. he also crushes, I mean, 
back in the day, how everybody knew him, he crushed writing articles. And it's really it's asking a lot of someone to be great at podcasting and television. It's like they're very different. Um, like not to say you aren't good at both or that like people can't do both, but like have your own solo hosted show and also your own solo hosted podcast yeah. is like that's those are two completely different mediums and you can't treat them like they're the same because it will come across in one or the other that you're right. not treating that medium itself with respect to like learn what you know what works there and what doesn't work in other places the medium is the message that that's what they taught me in college yeah i mean that that's absolutely makes whatever. sense yeah um, let's a lot no levitar talks about that a lot too like they actually moved from a giant nice studio that you've been in for HQ that overlooks the ocean and went into a closet for their radio show because they yeah. were like, it didn't feel like radio to be staring at each other across a set, across these giant desks. And um, to understand that about the medium is really important. Um, yeah, it changes completely. Totally. All right. So you're at, you're at Guyism for how long? Um, I'm at, let's see. So I was there for probably two, two years and then they got bought out by a different company and so everybody that worked for Guyism, because there are people across the country that blogged, because you really don't need to be in the same place. They yeah. were basically all told you have to move to New York, especially me, because I had to do video stuff and they were going to build like a video studio. And so I look back on this now and I'm like, you didn't ask enough questions. Why did you pick <laughs> up your life and move to New York? They offered me $40,000 a year. Mm, and I was like, ooh, a salary. Yeah. yeah. So mm -hmm. I didn't put two and two together that like, ooh, that's not going to get you far. But I moved to Hoboken with two girls I found on Craigslist because um, I could not afford to live anywhere else on 40 grand a year. And uh, I was there for probably – I don't want to cut it short. I moved there – I remember it was right before the Boston Marathon bombing, um, which was really weird to have lived in Boston for a while and felt so connected to that event, yeah. like the marathon. And then like a couple days after I moved – have the city go through a thing that like, I, I mean, awful tragedy, but it also was bringing people together like Boston strong. And I was like, oh, I'm I'm uh, I live in Hoboken. not a part of that. anymore. Yeah, yeah. No, I don't live in Boston anymore. It's really weird. And also just to be away when you're trying to find out, like, if all of your friends who work at the bars on Boylston Street and all that are OK. But anyway, yeah. I digress. So I was probably there for that was April, so April, May, June, July, like four months, three months, and I got a, a call from Fox Sports. About Carlos like, Wild. Yeah, they're like, we're launching a 24-hour sports network to compete with ESPN. We want, um, we've seen some of your work. We want you to come in and audition. We're interested in hiring you. And originally, I think the deal was like, update girl. Um, sorry, that's their language. Update woman. <laughs> uh, update female, you know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. <laughs> update bro. Female. That was the original pitch but i went out to la my jumping ahead you asked me about guys and do you want me to stop no talking no, no or... this is good yeah okay so i i went out i flew out to la sarah i was so nervous i don't think i've <laughs> ever been that nervous in my life because every every video i'd ever made was me alone in a room with a camera like i when i had a roommate for some of it i would wait till she would go to work or go to cvs because she'd be there for a while she loved like target cvs <laughs> uh i would do i would do my videos then so it wouldn't be like someone's in the other room listening to me obviously i didn't have a teleprompter i was like trying to memorize stuff but it would take a couple takes yeah it's like every time i screw up someone hears me i don't want that so i would always do it alone and here i was flying to california the other side of the country 
to audition in a room that I assumed would have a bunch of people in it, plus a bunch of people watching. And it was just like, I don't know how to do this. Why California, I wonder, because my audition was in New York. Well, actually, uh, I didn't audition. I just met with Michael and them. That's because so it wasn't originally Crowd Goes Wild. I think at the point I would if I could put the storylines together, I would say you were probably going to be on Crowd Goes Wild at the time I went to audition. Like they wanted me on Fox. Then, and this is what oh, I was getting got to, it, got it, got it. I I bombed the audition. Oh, no. <laughs> they gave me a script of, like, news, and they were like, rewrite it like you would your jokes. Like, write, make it like the speed round. And I was like, you can't possibly mean that. Like, I say a lot of bad words on the speed yeah. round. <laughs> uh, and they were like, no, go for it. I was like, okay. So I rewrote it on the flight out there. Um and was like, of course, second guessing every joke, felt like it wasn't funny enough, stressed about it. And then I got there and they're like, all right, put it in prompter. And they opened, they sat me at a computer and I was like, I need you to be more specific. I don't know how to do that. Oh. So I had to like try to cut and paste my stuff. It was a, a mess. Then they walk me out to the set and you look to your right. It's a gigantic set. There's millions of cameras, it feels like. And there's people standing around, like stage managers, the thing I didn't even think of, a guy that puts your IFB in, a guy that yep. puts your microphone on. And you're like, oh, my God, there's so many people. Um, there's like a the, it's the set that I see on TV. I'm, I'm starting to freak out even more. I sit down. Uh, and I see the, um, the, uh, of course now I'm going to flash back to when I didn't know what anything was called the jib and yeah. it's a way up in the air and they're like, you can, that's where you're going to do your reading. Like that's what you're going to read off of. And I was like, but it's, I can't read any of that. It's really far away. And I had to send somebody, this kid, Charlie, who I believe still works at Fox was like my helper that day. And I had to send him to go to the green room, the avocado room, to get my glasses because I couldn't. Oh, yeah, that's why I started wearing contacts was for yeah, contacts. I yeah. couldn't read it. And I didn't realize how blind I was until I saw. Mm-hmm. And it was like, mm-hmm. oh, my God, I'm here I am auditioning and I have to. So there's out somewhere out there, there is video of me at this audition <laughs> freaking out about not being able to see. And then you just see this adorably helpful intern or what I PA maybe like walk over and hand me my glasses and I'm oh like boy. freaking out. So I did the thing and then I did, they had also had me do a panel and it was hosted by Joel Klatt, which is why I will always love Joel Klatt. He was so nice and so giving in the audition of, I think he probably knew like, I've got the job. I know what I'm doing and you look like you're drowning. <laughs> so I'm going to help you. But it was me, Kay Adams and, um, some woman that did makeup tutorials on YouTube. Okay. Uh, I'll just let that sit for a second. Okay. So uh, it was the three of us. <laughs> and th- it was like, oh, Tiger Woods was supposedly drunk getting into the car at the Met Ball, I think was a story at the time. And then we were just supposed to chime in. And then there was like Manti Teo's uh, girlfriend got named to the Maxim Hot 100 list. And Kay and I were like, yeah, this is like making like making jokes. And then the woman that did YouTube tutorials was like, I think this is it cheapens the achievement. You know, there are a lot of people out there who work really hard to get on that list and oh, they boy. waste a number. And it was just Kay and I looked at each other and we're like, what, what? I don't know what to do. 
but I, it was like, yeah, that's a fair take. That's your take. Okay. Yeah. So anyway, I leave the, I leave the audition feeling awful about myself. I go to my hotel. I get a phone call from Pete Flastelica, which is, he was the former head of digital. He was, uh, created, one of the creators of Yard Barker and sold it to Fox and then he took over. He was the guy who contacted me to give me this audition. He calls me and I assume he's going to be like, you did great. And I answered and I was like, I feel like that went really bad. And he said, yeah, it did. <laughs> and I was like, wait. What? You were supposed to say no. <laughs> yeah, that's like, to these, like, oh, I feel like these jeans make me look fat. And he's yeah. like, yeah, you yeah, look disgusting. Sure Your ass is horrible. <laughs> Which, you know, we all say we want that honesty, but boy, is it tough when you're alone yeah. in a hotel in LA. And I believe at the time the guy I was dating, like, we had gotten in a fight the night before I left and oh, we boy. weren't speaking. And so I was like, I'd never felt more alone and like I'd made a bigger mistake. So then he was like, look, it sucked, but it's, I, we put you in a position you've never been in before. That was obviously going to suck. Here's an idea. We're doing a show out of New York. It's more of like a you don't have to read off prompter all the time and you're going to be chatting up with people. It's hosted by Regis and we don't it's called I think it was called like Rush Hour originally. Yeah, I can't remember. Something like that. Fast Lane or whatever. <laughs> uh, and he was like, you can go to this other audition. It's in New York. Like, let's have you do that and see how you do there. And so that's when I tested with, obviously, Regis didn't come because he's Regis. You don't have to audition yeah. when you're Regis. No. Uh, and Georgie Thompson wasn't there yet either because she was still in England trying to get over here. Uh, so it was like me, Trevor, Jason Gay, and Michael Costa. And it was on the set of, maybe I'm telling too much, but it was on the set of uh, Watch What Happens Live. Yeah. And I yeah. stood behind the bar where the bartender stands. And that was my... I remember Michael telling me that he did that show and I was like, okay. Yeah. And Chelsea Handler, I was like, oh, okay, I, want, I want to be involved with this guy. Like, yeah. He, he knows cool people. And who wants to be a millionaire? And mm-hmm. uh, he had a lot to do with like Kimmel. Yeah. So yeah, it was it was cool. That audition went much better. And um, then I got offered the job of social media correspondent on the couch of Crag as well. And I ended up meeting you. That's the first time we met was right after that. Um, on my birthday. Super Bowl media day. Mm-hmm. That was my birthday. Yeah. yeah. Um, all right. So you do Crowd Goes Wild and you go from social media correspondent to having some of your own, you know, fun little segments on there. And then you got a web series, No Filter with Katie Nolan, which was kind of like the guyism again. Same kind of concept, right? The straight to camera graphic over the shoulder. Yes. But this time other people edited it. For yes, me, you had some help, that which is was amazing. Crazy. It was a crazy Isn't that the experience. best feeling when you stop editing your own videos? You because think that takes so. forever. Oh, it does take forever. But my initial reaction when I wasn't editing my own videos was panic because it was like... Oh, because you're out of control? Yeah. How do yes, I know you're going to totally. take the best take? How yes, do I know like, you're going to even put get the right... that joke. That's yeah. why you cut it out. Yes. Let me explain the joke oh, to you that God. everyone else will get that you didn't get. Or yes. they'll use like the wrong over the shoulder photo or it doesn't hit at exactly the right time. And I know yep. anybody listening to this is probably like, chill out, psychopath. We'll get it. No. But you won't. Like it Comedy makes that much timing. of a, Yeah, it yes. makes a difference. And so when you find somebody that knows your humor and also how to edit for comedy, which is a very particular skill, just like editing for sports or highlights or whatever is a very particular skill. Uh, when you find somebody, you're like, don't ever leave me. Totally. I, I remember I, I had you. an editor in I, in one of my pieces that was kind of like comedically based. I wrote, ain't nobody got time for that, right? Which is yeah. a meme that everyone knows. I've never heard and of it. 
she changed it to nobody has any time for this. Oh no! <laughs> and I was like, oh no, I can't work with this person. Nobody anymore. has like, any time for that. Yeah, it just and like that'll happen a lot, and that's why when you do find like the editors and the team members that you love, you're like, okay, man, on this, I'm sticking with this. Like, do not. I had yes. one that I like literally said, I'm not resigning my contract if you take her away. I resigned, and then like three months later, they had to call me and be like, so just wanted to let you know, we're moving her to a. I'm like, no, no. yeah. Yeah, um, shout out to Justin Kroll. I think he's at. I think he might be at the Ringer now. But that was, that was he. He edited uh, Garbage Time, and he was great. Yeah, it makes such a big difference. Okay, yes. so you are crowd goes wild and is over, canceled. And, oh God, rub it in. Why don't yeah, you? Sorry. <laughs> and then you, but you get picked up immediately, and they're like, "We want to give you your own show," which is amazing. So March of 2015, Garbage Time with Katie Nolan, which still the intro to that show is so badass. I thought like you were going to say so bad. I'm like, damn, no. Sarah? Like, how cool did, when they showed that to you, if, if anybody never saw the show, the intro was Katie as if she'd been put into all different, like, video games, um, you know, Mike Tyson punch out and, and, uh, some car racing. And I just thought it was so badass. And I remember sitting down to watch her being like, oh my God, this girl, like, this is so cool for her. I sobbed and I'm not exaggerating. <laughs> when they sent me that, it was probably a couple weeks maybe before we aired, if that. Uh, I sobbed. It was just the thought that someone sat down. This sounds really particular, but somebody sat down and made that for my show. And it was the first time I sort of realized, oh, this is happening. Yeah, I have a all television show where somebody made this music for me and somebody made this I, this graphic, they made all this, I had all this stuff and it was really scary, but exciting. Um, the idea came from Garrett Richardson. He was one of our producers and uh, I don't, I think people know this by now, but everybody essentially until the later seasons of Garbage Time that worked there were producers that I had met on Crag as well because that was my only experience. I wasn't like, oh, let me go meet and talk to some other producers. It was just like, hey, I, I know these people. I like these people. And it was also an Embassy Row show. So it was like, let's just get my friends. So yeah. uh, Garrett was like, what if we did like a an 8-bit theme, like a an old, like that kind of music and also like a video game theme. And I was, it's one of those ideas as soon as I heard it, same way it was with the name essentially. Uh, as soon as I heard it, I was like, Garrett, that's it. Let's do that. I love that. And it yeah. had a risk of being super corny, but I, oh, God, No, I it turned it. out so awesome. <clears throat> so you get started in that show and obviously it's a ton of pressure. You have, like, I think for me, it, as bad as this sounds, like when I get nervous, it's when I know that there's money invested. <laughs> as yeah. dumb as that is. Like when I did my expenses to like go, when I first started to go f- be flown out to do like Levitard or be flown to the Super Bowl and I would send my expenses back, I'd be like, oh, they're never going to ask me to do anything again. Mm-hmm. That costs thousands of dollars. Like, I was I'm like, oh, I'll, I'll eat that gas, that gas receipt. Yeah. I'll just well, I'll which, pay by for the way, myself. Like, it took me like three years for my husband to be like, ESPN's like a $40 billion company. Why are you just paying for something? I'm like, I don't know. I feel bad. I, I I'm guess. not worth it. Yep. Like, and then that's over that so, now though, right? Well, most of the time I have problems still, but, um, but yeah, like it is, it is that idea of like, okay, these people are all working for something that it's their job and they're a part of it. But if I screw up, it ends it for everyone. You know, like if I'm not good, that's the end of this. Mm-hmm. Um, so what, did you go in there kind of overwhelmed by that or did you feel like you, like you owned it and you were okay with that? Oh, it's a really good question. I, it's tough to pinpoint mentally where I was because it was all so much. If that makes sense, there wasn't time to worry or think big picture. That's like my one of my 
constant weaknesses as I'm always really focused on like, this needs to be the best. And then people are like, what do you want for your career? What are your goals? I'm like, I don't know. I have to go make an episode. Like, stop talking to me. I'm not focused on like, oh, well, in five years, I'd like to be here and whatever. I don't think that way. So it was a lot of pressure. It was really hard to delegate. It was hard to let go the same way. It's kind of the same feeling as the editing thing. It was hard to be like, oh, I can let someone else come up with a segment and write it for me in terms of like, you know, bits and stuff that we did so that I can focus on writing the A block, which really matters and has to be from my perspective. Like that was really hard because I wanted to do all of it because I felt like if I didn't and somebody found out I delivered a joke I didn't write, then suddenly I wouldn't be funny anymore. Right. That took me a really long time to get over when yeah. people would say, like, all you do is read prompter. And I would be like, no, actually, I write all of it myself. And then <laughs> I reached a point where it was like, I'm doing other things outside of the show. I don't have time to write all of it myself. And because I had drawn that line in the sand of like, this is what makes me good. This is what makes me valuable. And it was very hard to go, oh, I'll just not write it. Because I drew that line and said, if I don't write it, well, then I'm I'm not talented, yeah. which isn't true. But was a it was very hard for me to like mentally hurdle over that. And now looking back at it, I feel for my producers because they were probably like, Katie, let us do some stuff. Like, stop right. wanting to write everything. Um, which you know, eventually you're like, okay, go ahead. I'm too tired. Go ahead. I need some help. The first um, two weeks, the first two episodes of the show, I was living out of a. Uh, and it, what was it? A Candlewood Suites in Secaucus, New Jersey. I've been there. I mm-hmm. got on a band's tour bus in downtown New York City. And Always not a good idea. And know that they were going to Secaucus. <laughs> got to Secaucus and my friend and I were like, oh, where where are we? And then Where did you think they were going? Back. We didn't ask. We just – we <laughs> thought that they were just going to be partying on their bus right after the show. It was, I think it was at the Bowery. What band? And then just like uh, Pat McGee Band. I don't know what that is. Sounds okay, like a well, raucous good time. It was a college band that was very big, and they would come to Cornell. And actually, I, I ended up hang, hanging out with them for years after that. And then the drummer now works for the Rock Boats, which was like oh. the Gronk Boat. So he was on the Gronk Boat, and I was like, "Oh my God, Charlie, I have not seen you in like a decade." Anyway, wow. long story short, I ended up in Caucus, and I was yeah. like, "Great, it's a it's cool. quite a place." I'm poor, and now I have to take a cab back to the city. Oh, which is super expensive because that was probably before Uber, yeah. right? And at yeah. like three in the morning, like not, yeah. and we were like college kids. We were so dumb. Anyway, this is when we tried to drive to Mardi Gras from Cornell, and then about four hours and realized we'd have to turn right back around. So we took a hard left and went to New York City instead. Oh my God. You lived anyway, quite a lot. Good life. choices. Good choices. Yeah. So, so I, was, I was living there because I had, um, the closing day for my mortgage of my first big purchase of my life, a home was, uh, was March 15th, which was our launch date. Oh my and I was gosh. like, Oh my God, this is so stressful. I'm going to be moving the day of my mortgage. Little did I know in New Jersey that the law allows for them to, your, your mortgage closing date is fluid. It is not final. Ah. Uh, and so I, we launched the show and, um, had not closed our, we had not closed on our apartment yet, on our condo. So I, we had to live out of a Candlewood Suites. So I'm writing my first few. We, this being at the time your boyfriend? Me, yeah, my boyfriend and I at the yeah. time. Mm-hmm. Um, so I was writing. I think she's single, guys. <laughs> let's not even go there. Yeah, uh, I have no idea. I'm just speculating. So I definitely don't want to go there because you might we have. Can, we can know. offline this conversation. Yeah, exactly. Uh, no, but so I'm sitting in a Candlewood Suites that doesn't get FS1 because it's a relatively yeah. new network. And yeah. I'm writing my first, like, I don't like to call them rants, but like opinion 
down barrel to the camera rants that I'm going to give on a show with my name on it at like a table and like with it was yeah. just it like didn't feel like the right scary. fit right? no and it was so <laughs> stressful it was like oh my god tomorrow I'm gonna have to go say this on TV yeah I don't know if it's perfect and then you learn like you're not gonna make the perfect show but you when the great when the red light turns on you have to go like yeah there's no more time so just make it as good as you can so because we're going to run out of time, and of course I'm going to need to do a part two, let's skip ahead a little. To Feel get free a little to edit out in. anything I said that was boring, which is most stuff. Nope, I don't do that really around here. I like oh, to okay. keep it. I like to keep it real. Keep it. Keep it a hundred. <laughs> also, yeah, my editor's super lazy. He's not going to do that. He's he only going to look for the swears. Yeah. Doesn't um, nobody have any time for that? Yeah, nobody has any time for that. <laughs> um, so let's talk about how it all ended because you did some shows from the Super Bowl. Um, I really liked your show. I'm not blowing Thanks, smoke up here. I watched it on the regular. I really enjoyed it. I thought you were super funny and smart. And then when you needed to do a rant and take someone to task, you nailed it. And I think a lot of women in the industry were like, okay, we're so glad that this is someone who got a platform. Um, and then it was just gone. And I didn't realize until way later that it was, I just thought, oh, it's on hiatus. And then it just never came back. Mm-hmm. Um, now that you've had time to look back and process, uh, what is that hiatus or that really long, was it eight months or so of not working? What did that, what did that feel like to you and how did it affect you? I don't want to sound melodramatic, but all I can do is be honest and answer your question. Honestly, it was really hard. Uh, I, at first, you know, we were put on hiatus. The plan was to move out to LA and grow the show and change the format and all these things that are words that scare me, but that I was at that point like, look, we've done the LA conversation a bunch. It was like the Rams. It was like, we keep saying we're going to go to L.A. Like, I get it. Let's just go to (laughs) L.A. Like, I get that it's eventually going to happen. So let's just shut up and do it. And so I was ready, essentially, um, and thought that was the plan. And it ended up being just a disagreement between the network and I about, like, I didn't want to sign a new deal to do a show without knowing what the show was going to look like. And move, presumably. Right. And they didn't want me to like figure they didn't want to spend time I don't think figuring out a show that they weren't guaranteed to get I understand both sides but I I couldn't be like sure I'll stay another three years at this network um, and I have no idea what panelists are going to be on my show I have no idea what the format's going to be I you know it was too much so I, I and wanted, they wanted to co-host too right yeah, they wanted it to be like me and two others, I think. Was and that's hard, too, because it's like chemistry is everything. Absolutely. So if you and sign on to something and then they're like, I, I don't know if you remember Michelle Beadle's show. And I can't I even do. remember who the I guy do. was that she I just I, she was. Oh, so. I, I just was, looked his name up the other day. She was too much for him. Like, I'm sure he was a nice guy, but like he could not keep up with her. Yeah. And like when you sign on and you do something, it reflects on you, even if the failure is in the in the in the hundred percent, the putting yeah. it together. Yeah. So and I it was so fresh in my mind, the experience at the Super Bowl where we grew my show to a panel show. And up until the last minute, we were trying to book panelists. And I mean, I had said, I don't want it to be just me and insert FS1 personality here. And it's really hard to book someone to, I mean, even just a week of shows, but imagine like a contract. And I didn't want to be at a point where I'd signed a contract to do this show. And at the right, you know, right before it launches, they're like, look, we can't get anybody. But here's, you know, two people who are already on our air all day long that don't really fit with your show, but they're under contract. So they have to do it. And I didn't want that. And I no one's I'm not saying that's what definitely would have happened. 
But we had been in a similar situation with the Super Bowl and booking people for that panel. And it was so fresh in my mind that it felt like a huge danger to be like, sure, I'll just resign and hope everything works out. And so I'm overly cautious. It probably could have worked out. But in my mind, it not working out would have been much worse and not worth it. And so I... Uh, I'm trying to think of when I realized that it definitely wasn't coming back. I want to say it was, I mean, it's probably earlier than most people think, but it, I think it was around, when are the sports Emmys? May? Yeah, I think so. So I think it was probably like May or June is when I started to realize like, oh, this, this isn't going to happen anytime soon. Uh, and I'm probably going to be like not working until my contract was up in December and blah, 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 boring contract stuff, but uh, you're not allowed to, like, renegotiate or, like, take offers from other people until the period at the end, at least with my contract specifically. It was, like, the three months before the end, you can start to take offers from other people. And so I couldn't even be like, cool, I'll just go shop around and see where I want to go next. It was just keep trying to work things out with, with Fox and try to come to some sort of an agreement, and it wasn't happening. So I went on a vacation early on, I want to say maybe in, like, April uh, which was great and much needed. And then I got back and I, I got, I went to a really dark place. I didn't know like what, there were days where I would wake up at like 1 PM cause I'm a late, I'd stay up late anyway. Cause yeah. you know, the bartending roots and all that, like I'm more, pro- I get productive around like five or 6 PM and then I can stay up till like two or three. But so I would wake up at 1 PM and be like, yeah, why bother? And just go right back to sleep. There was no reason to get out of bed. There was no reason to like go out with my friends because my friends were going to ask me what was going on at work and I wouldn't be able to tell them because I didn't really have any answers and I didn't see it light at the end of the tunnel. And it sounds like it's only a couple months. Like why, why does it matter so much? And that's a really good question, anonymous person in my head, but <laughs> like it di- it just crushed me. I didn't. It's really hard to go from having the thing that you <clears throat> have dreamed of and love and take ownership of and create and that people, while it didn't have good viewership because FS1 is still working on that, like it had a lot of people who loved you and you became, you know, really popular because of it to go from that to nothing and to be prevented from doing anything. Yeah. And it's it's hard to have no schedule. It really depresses you. That crushed me. Like, Because I worked from home for a while when I lost a job and I did a blog to keep myself busy, but not having to be anywhere, anytime... Sounds great, and it is for, like, maybe two weeks. Yeah. I need to be, like, uh, what my ideal is is, like, staying home all day and never having to talk to anyone. And for that reason, (laughs) that's why I need to get out of my house to go to my job because I'm not going to force myself out of my house to go hang out with friends because I can just be like, no, I don't feel like drinking. I don't want to. But like my job should needs to get me out of my house or I'm going to go to a really like we had this conversation once outside. Actually, I think it was no, it was up front where you were like, why? You know, I, I remember specifically saying, don't you have any self-destructive habits, Sarah? And you were like, no. And I remember being like, God, I'm so jealous. Everything <laughs> I love to do is bad for me. If I were to give in to all of my desires, I wouldn't ever shower. I wouldn't ever work out. I would sleep all the time. I would stay up all night. I would drink. I would partake in other activities. Yes. Mm-hmm. Like, the, I, it, I would just, that's where I would go. And, or I would work. And the only thing that gets me to 
be a human in the world is like I love this job. Yeah. And I know I've learned now over those past few months is like I need to grow up in the sense of like I need to have more things in my life that matter to me than my job. Of course I knew that before. But you can also be like, yeah, but I just won an Emmy and I'm 30. Or like I just have a solo hosted uh, sports opinion comedy show and I'm 28. Like you can give yourself these uh, like, yeah, I'll stop eventually. But why? Right. And the months without working sort of put in my mind like this is why. Because when the job goes away and the job's always going to eventually go away, when it does, like you need to have – Something you need to have something else that defines you and makes you feel alive. There were days where I was writing in a notebook, just lists. I would just open up a notebook and write like things I like. And I was like video games, <laughs> like talking to friends. And it just made me feel like I existed. That day happened. And I know that it happened because I wrote something down like this yeah. is how dark it got. If I didn't write something down that day, I was like, wow, another wasted day. You weren't even on the planet. Nobody talked to you. Nobody reached out. And you, you're God, this is so depressing. But I, I don't know. No, I, I mean, I, it totally makes sense. I mean, I think the. The, you mentioned it before with why I would t be so stressed about a restaurant job or why you would take Equinox so seriously. Like if you are the kind of person who is incredibly self-motivated and very ambitious and it matters to you to achieve things and to do things and to be able to feel like you're worthwhile, to not do that is debilitating. Yeah. I just didn't have a place anymore to tell anybody what I thought about anything, which I never thought would matter to me that much. And it really did. Because every time I there was a point where and I'll get crushed for this, but I stopped watching sports as much because I couldn't because I it was it hurt. It was like, oh, cool. I have a lot I want to say about that. But the mm. only place I can go to say it is Twitter. And Twitter does not allow for nuance, as I'm sure you know. Yeah. So like when the whole world is erupting about this, the Kaepernick stuff, which, it, man, it felt like we did that for how long? And I, you know, the first round of it, I was obviously employed and stuff for. But like the stuff that happened over the last year, I'm like, oh, my God, I have so many thoughts, but there's no way to convey them in a smart way way and to say exactly what i mean on twitter it's just not a thing right and, well, so and then it, you're like oh i'll do my own side blog that's not have to do with fox and then and then it feels like what am i doing like that's right. really hard to move to that space when you've been somewhere else where it was um uh we are running out of time Gosh, i know shut me so up. much to talk about no um just really quickly, and I think, you know, we'll do ESPN and later next time you come on. But um, when it comes to joining ESPN, you know, this this industry, in the end, there are a lot of options. I think for some of us, we don't feel like there are because we're used to like, these are the things we're used to. But there are spaces to be in places that maybe we don't open up our mind to because, you know, we're settled and we're set in, in looking at a landscape a certain way. But ESPN felt like it made sense. Everybody was talking about it for months. Um, did you have any trepidation about about joining when they came to you? When you knew Fox was over. Uh, yeah, but I have trepidation about everything. I'd like to be clear, ESPN bosses that are definitely listening to this. Um, <laughs> but, you know, it's a bit A, it's a big company. Um, B, it's a Disney company. Um, I, I would say those are the those were the two like, oh, I don't know. And see, you know, I'm not doing TV here right away. I'm mostly right. they're hiring. They hired me to do digital stuff. And so it was sort of like. Letting go of the I had my own show and now I don't, um, which wasn't as big of a thing as it probably sounds like it would be. Um, 
but it was like a okay, we're going to go back to digital, and、uh, don't freak out about that. It's a it's a good thing. It's not a step backwards. And then just the I don't want to sign a contract with somewhere. Have them tell me that I can do whatever I want, and then day one of doing whatever I want, I get in trouble.、Uh, that has kind that of too happened. Has already happened. Um, but this sounds you like learn. It's I tough. It, it's... it sounds like company speak, but I think what I didn't. I was always focused on like, oh, Disney won't let me. Disney won't let me. I didn't think about people outside want to say that ESPN is X, Y, or Z, and are looking for things、mm-hmm. that happen in the world that confirm that ESPN is X, Y, or Z. If something happens that proves that ESPN is A, B, or C, they're not going to write about it or care about it or notice it. Because they want to confirm their bias that ESPN、mm-hmm. is X, Y, and Z. Liberal and so, media. Yeah, holy <laughs> shit, that was amazing. Yeah,、uh, I mean, so, trust me, I've been on Breitbart for like a throwaway comment that they were like ESPN,、yeah. Sarah Spain. It confirms, and I'm like, okay, that was a joke. Like, Liberal was, media. That, yeah, there you go. So、uh, yeah, I had to learn that was it. It sucked, but I get it now, and. Like、It's、I、nice、said, to get was, it out of the way early while you're still in the、yeah. honeymoon phase, where、yeah. they're like, "Okay, Katie, things are a little different around here." The written warning thing、yeah. is scary, though, because now like, I've been here for eight years, and every time I'm like, "Oh, I did it again." I know, and well, the scary <laughs> thing for me is like when they give you the written warning, they sit you down and they're like, "Don't、oh, yeah. think, don't think this isn't a big deal. The next thing you do means you're going to、yeah. get suspended." And I'm like, "But I've only been here a few weeks. <laughs> I am likely to do something again very soon. Is there a learning curve for those、no. of us who came from another、mm-hmm. network?" But、no. I will say, I mean, the other side of it, when I was at Fox, I would meet people in the world, and they'd be like, "Where do you work?" And I was like, "Fox Sports," and they were like, "I love Sean Hannity," and I was like, "That's not where I work." So it's like both places have these like assumptions about them. But like the people I worked with at Fox were super liberal, and the people I've worked with at ESPN, I don't know their politics at all because they're super afraid of people thinking anything about their politics. So、yeah. it is funny the actual like reality versus the narrative. But I mean that's not a that's a hot take. Everybody knows that narratives are different than what actually happens in real life. But let's start the Fox is liberal, Fox Sports is、let's、super liberal.、It. Somebody call Breitbart. Who's got a Who's got a contact? <laughs> I have them、there. on speed dial. Hold on one <laughs> Perfect, second. Great. Yeah. Well, I only have Bannon, and he's not there anymore. That's oh, you know, tough. That's tough. That's my guy. I was gonna say、um, is that your dealer. <laughs> <laughs> I'm coughing because that made me feel ill. Okay.、Um, <laughs> before we let you go, and my producer gonna kill me because we already are going along, but、um, I'll, I'll get killed if you don't do this. So you gotta do the one thing that everybody does. Oh no! Nobody expects what. The Spanish Inquisition. But I didn't expect a kind of Spanish Inquisition. <laughs> Nobody expects the Spanish Inquisition. Number one, the natural talent you wish you were gifted with. Ooh,、um, like b- the ability to play an instrument. Oh, or like、particular? write music.、Uh, I'd、oh, love to be able to play guitar. I tried. I sucked. But I, I would say、too. more so the ability to write music. I think is an amazing, incredible gift you're either born with or you just don't have. And I do not have it. That is a great one. Number two, your desert island album. You can only have one. Oh, this is recency bias because I was going to say SZA Control. Wow, that is very. <laughs> I haven't listened to anything but that since it came out, and not in a, not because I like trying to sound cool, but because I'm like this is the only music I、really? want to hear. I've got to check I, it out. I oh, man, I should have prepared for this. I hate these questions. Um, uh. What's my favorite album of all time? <laughs> This is really hard. Channel Orange. 
No, okay. that's not a good choice. That's not it. Sarah, come back to it. Okay. My music tastes are I'll all over shot. the place. Okay. Yeah, it's a tough one. Yeah. Uh, number three, if you could switch lives with anyone for a day, who would it be? Ooh. My brain was like Steve Bannon, Steve Bannon, Steve Bannon. <laughs> it's just because we just said his name. Change lives with anyone for a day. I mean, the easy answer is Oprah, but I don't think she's do like her day to day. I don't know even what it's like. This is why I ask questions and I don't answer them. I know. It's really hard, isn't it? Trade places with anyone for a day. Who gets to eat a bunch of awesome food and travel a bunch of awesome Anthony Bourdain? Places? Okay, sure. But he eats weird stuff, too. Yeah, see, I don't know about that. I don't know. Gwyneth Paltrow when she was doing a show. No. 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 I don't want to sell goop. I'm out on goop. I don't know. Probably a man. Any man. Fictional person. Thank you for saying that because I've literally had one person say someone of the opposite sex. And I'm like, doesn't it seem obvious that like it would be cool to just see? I have long said I just want to have a penis for a day. Just for a day. Just for a day. I feel like it would make me so much more understanding of men. Yeah. Well, and also just like I don't want (laughs) to – I want to be able to pee standing up. I want to be able to give instead of take. Like I don't want – like I want a penis for one day. All right. I'm going to clip that off and that's going to be how I sell this pod. Uh, Number four, what's the most scared you've ever been? Ooh, I was – I think I just said that it was at my Fox audition. So if I say something different now, I'm a liar. Well, that could have been career versus like, did you almost die in a plane crash or anything? Uh, no, once I, the like engine failed and we had to land, but it wasn't actually Mm. scary. I'm, uh, I'm, I live in a constant state of fear. So it's pretty much just like (laughs) different levels of how freaked out I am. I'm never calm. I like it. I like when you couldn't read the teleprompter in your giant audition. That's a good Mm -hmm. one. Um, number five, what do you think is your biggest failure? Oh, also my Fox audition. Um, (laughs) Biggest fit. Sarah, these are mean. No, they're these are they're deep. thoughtful. They're introspective. My biggest failure. I my my brain just wants to say the past year of my life not getting uh my show picked up, losing my show. But it wasn't all me. So it's right. been trying to be generous to myself. Well no, but part of it was your I would say business savvy, which is probably more mature than your age. To know not to just take the thing in front of you because there's no thing, no other thing in front of you, if that thing isn't exactly what you want. That's, you know what that's I think? Impressive. You know what I think is a is a is a a much worse answer, but it's pretty good. I had a, a softball game once where the varsity pitcher who was incredible, I was on JV. I got called up because it was like a playoff, and she was amazing, but this team was just crushing her. And so they put me in in like the sixth because they were like, whatever, let's might as well. Garbage time? Yeah, essentially. And <laughs> uh, I was so nervous, again, constant state of fear, I couldn't throw a strike. Like it was yips oh, no. to a million. It was like I forgot how to do oh. anything, and it was – it was like it's obviously like the biggest failure of my life, but it was like yeah, that hurts. To it think was the about biggest them. failure of my life. It was like a, I there was no words anyone could say after that was like yeah, that didn't feel awful. There was no way to get me to feel like I didn't just embarrass myself in front of a huge group of people. So there's that. Number six habit or quality you think has contributed most to your success? Uh, stubbornness. Hmm, it's a good one. Number seven thing about yourself you'd most like to improve? 
my um, time management. The the video games and the not showering. And yeah, stuff. it's just like the, I need to be more like, nope, you've got to do this. Like, do the laundry. Don't say, let me just beat three more levels. And then when you beat the three levels, you're like, let me just beat two more. It'll be super quick. Like, I just need to be better at managing the clock. Andy Reid and I both. Yeah, work on that. Number eight, what three words would you most hope people would use to describe you? Smart, funny, perfect. <laughs> wow. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. I couldn't think of the third one. And I just smart, funny, and um, uh, curious. That's good. Those are good ones. And That's... the final new bonus question per Ooh. suggestion. What person of any job or industry would you like to hear on That's What She Said? Who would you recommend that I have a conversation with? Ooh, those are two different answers. Okay. Um, yeah, you're right. I would I would like instead of who would you like to hear, who would you recommend that I have a conversation with? Dan Soder. I've heard him on yours. He's very funny. He is one of the most impressively funny humans I've met in person. <laughs> like it's just – you know when someone makes a joke and you're like, I hate you because it's right. so funny? How did you get that? Like, oh, yeah. where'd your brain go? Teach me that. Uh, yes. he, he is All the that. Time. He's highly entertaining. He knows a ton of stuff. And he's just like... He's got it. You almost feel like, wait, did you rehearse all these bits before you got here? Like, how <laughs> did you know you what was funny? coming? So I would just psychic. Yeah, exactly. Rec- I'd recommend having a conversation with him. Awesome. And I'm gonna have you back on sometime soon because we only got through half a, the questions because I talk like too much. Two-parter. I mean, we're both a little loquacious, so that's fine. Mm. Thanks, Katie. Welcome, welcome to the team, girl. Sarah, I, thank you for having me. I'm glad we finally got to do this. Next time, I promise I'll I'll be more. No, I won't. I'm not making that promise. No, you promise. won't. Never mind. Don't make Forget empty it. promises no. to yeah. me. Totally empty. <laughs> Don't lie to my face. <laughs> um, all right. Thanks, lady. Well, that's what she said. This week's That's What She Read is, you know, I keep trying to get away from the stories that are in some way related to Me Too, but gosh, if people aren't putting out some good and this is from The Everywhereist, uh, and it's, uh, it's a website I haven't been to before, also published on Medium, so you can find it there called I Made the Pizza Cinnamon Rolls from Mario Batali's Sexual Misconduct Apology Letter. I don't know if you guys recall that when Mario Batali posted a public apology for uh, the many sexual indecencies that occurred on his watch at his restaurants, at the end he included a PS with a recipe for cinnamon rolls, which would be over the top even if the onion did it or if Saturday Night Live did it, and yet someone somewhere thought it was a good idea. And this woman's report of making the uh, recipe is hilarious and well-written, and I'll just read you a little bit of it. Last night I made cinnamon rolls. Not a huge fan of cinnamon rolls per se, but the recipe was included in Mario Batali's sexual misconduct apology letter, and so I feel compelled to make them. Batali is not the first powerful man to request forgiveness for inappropriate actions toward his coworkers and employees. He is not the most high profile, and he is ostensibly not even the worst offender. But he is the only one who included a recipe. And of course, the glaring question is why? Was his PR team drunk? Is life suddenly a really long, depressing SNL sketch? Do these cinnamon rolls somehow destroy the patriarchy? Does the icing advocate for equal pay? I figure the only way to answer these questions is to make the damn rolls. She goes on and starts explaining the process of making them. And at one point she says, I think about the time that I was an intern at a local news station and assigned to hand out cake while celebrating some milestone it had to do with the Salt Lake City Winter Olympics. One of the producers I'd been working with closely walked up to the table. Do you want a piece, I asked? 
Yeah, he said, looking me up and down. Oh, you mean of cake? No, thanks. He and another male staff member laughed while I stood, holding a piece of cake in each hand, dumbstruck. Vitaly does not specify how tightly to roll the dough. I do so too tightly because f*** everything. I remember the time another producer walked his fingers across my lap while I was typing at a computer. I turned to stare at him and he grabbed my badge, which was clipped to my waist. I wanted to see how your last name was spelled. I think I've used too much dough. So anyway, on it goes, and it's hilarious, and a much-deserved written F you tomorrow, Batali, for just an absurdly inappropriate attempt at an apology. Thanks, as always, for lasting about an hour with me. That's what she said.